a good move. Why don't you dance him? Dancing is forbidden. Yoo-hoo, running crew, welcome to Dancing is Forbidden and Aqua Teen Hunger Force Exploration. I am Ronnie, and on this podcast, I am watching through every episode of Aqua Teen, talking about it, laughing about it, goofing around, having a good time, and the episode we're having a good time with this week is Season 1, Episode 11, Bad Replicant. Your, your best friend, remember? Major Shake? Mr. Shake? Hey! Bad Replicant airing November 10th, 2002. This a week after the previous episode, Dumber Dolls. And we are actually going to be on this weekly schedule for the rest of this season. So up until now, releases have been rather sporadic. There's been periods when there have been months with no new Aqua Teen episode. But now they finally have enough ready to go. Because again, they didn't know that this show would be successful. So they only had a couple episodes made at the time when it, when it released. But now they're caught up and they have every episode ready to go for the rest of the season. So in terms of our pop culture that we'll get into later on, everything will be pretty consistent. We'll be following week by week what was going on at the end of 2002 here up until the end of the season, which ends December 29th, 2002. Hey, that's my mom's birthday. Anyways, before we get into the old stuff, we got some new stuff to talk about. How about that? So announced a couple days ago as of this recording is the Adult Swim Festival, music, comedy, and Mayhem from your couch. It is premiering on YouTube on November 12th through the 13th of this year, 2021. And yeah, that'll be on YouTube. And there are more exclusives on HBO Max. I do not know what these exclusives will be, if they will just be more performances. I don't anticipate them being anything super meaty. I think it's just going to be kind of filler stuff. But yeah, if you have HBO Max, definitely you'll want to look into that. I'll be looking into that as well. We've got some never-before-seen performances by Lil Baby, whoever that is, Carol G. I'm probably showing my age here. 21 Savage, Flying Lotus. Even if you don't know who Flying Lotus is off the top of your head, he did do the theme song for the Aqua TV show show season. So if you've heard that theme song, you've heard Flying Lotus, baby. And a, a lot more, a lot more artists are going to be here. I'm excited for Jessica Pratt. She's an artist that I know and I really like. But yeah, Adult Swim has always been really good at also showcasing these smaller artists too. So a lot of these guys I don't know, but I'm sure that they're great. Adult Swim has teamed up with Ghostly International also to put out some CDs with some exclusive music on it. I have one of them and I didn't know any of the artists on it, but it was really interesting because I like Ghostly as a label and I like Adult Swim. But anyways, what's really interesting here is there are some exclusive live streams and panels, most notably for Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Now what this will entail, I don't entirely know. But I can guarantee I will be covering it either day of or that coming Monday because that's on like a Friday or Saturday. So I might just put that out on Monday with the normal episode. We'll see. But I'll definitely be covering this. We'll be talking about it and see what went on. There's also going to be a panel for Squidbillies, which Dave Willis writes on as well. So that'll be fun to see if you like Aqua Teen. Even if you're not a huge Squidbillies fan, you might be interested to check that out. There's also a segment that says watch your favorite episodes with live chat featuring surprise guests. Uh, unfortunately, no Aqua Teen here. There is Metalocalypse, Sealab 2021. A lot of shows I, I like, but no, no Aqua Teen. No Dave or Matt shows from what I can tell just by looking here. But lots of good shows like Eric Andre show, Rick and Morty. I'm sure people will be excited for. Yeah, 
all sorts of stuff. So big announcement here. Anyways, we've gotten a few promos for this with some crazy art. And there's also some merchandise that they are selling. Some very, uh, I think, overpriced merchandise. There's a cool Space Ghost shirt. It says, my brain is vaporizing. And it's just, it's just Space Ghost with his hand over his face. But it's $30 for this white shirt with just a, a JPEG on the front. Like, I don't know, man. I guess I'm kind of a cheapskate when it comes to these things. But th there is other merch. Nothing Aqua Teen themed. But all of it looks pretty cool. I, I think if you're into the art style of the posters, you'll like this merch. And something that on the Discord server that Zeus pointed out, that'll be the Dancing is Forbidden Discord server if you'd like to join. Check the show notes. On one of the flyers here, there is a little guy holding what looks to be Master Shake. Like He's got a little cup and it's got Shake's face on it. And that design is also on the back of a t-shirt that they're selling. So there you go. There's, there's an Aqua Teen shout out in this art, but... Yeah, nothing super noteworthy in terms of Aqua Teen itself. That's the Aqua Teen news. And I've got some patron shout outs to give because you guys are awesome. We've had nine people sign up to the Patreon, which is incredible. I mean, I'm just blessed that even one person cared to sign up, let alone nine. So you guys are very, very awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Holden McGroin, <laughs> for signing up at the $1 tier. And I will shout out the other tiers throughout the episode. So I'm just going to split it up. So that way I'm not just naming eight names in a list. That's not very exciting. So yes, thank you, Holden, for joining the birthday dollar seed money tier. Very, very cool. I appreciate it. We've got a few voice messages this week. I didn't play any last week. Let's hear what we got. First up, you guys are not going to believe this and you're going to be mad I didn't play it sooner. Carl called in. What, what, what's Carl got to say? Hey, this is Carl from Aquatine Hunger Force, and I'm calling in, first of all, to tell you, you're doing a good job, but I have a special request, and that is do not cover the episode Dumb and Dolls, and uh, the reason for that is I'm not in it. Who'd want to watch an Aquatine Hunger Force episode with no Carl, huh? It's like a broad without a, you know, uh, I'm not trying, I'm trying not to get you the you know, peep podcast media on you. But I do have a funny behind the scenes story of why I'm not in this episode. And basically when they were filming it, I saw that doll guy and I was like, what the hell? You're trying to replace me. No one can replace the Brotana Deluski. Uh, anyway, I walked off set <laughs> and I walked <laughs> somewhere else. If you know what I mean, catch the drift. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we got it worked out all, uh, you know. So uh, this is why that's the only episode of season one that's not worth watching. Uh, instead, watch <laughs> Carl Stone Cold Lock of the Century, uh, you know, cover something else like that. Uh, and anyways, keep up the good work and cover all the Carl episodes. Don't cover the <laughs> non-Carl episodes because that's I'm not in those, you know. So no, they're not worth watching. And instead, cover... <laughs> <laughs> Some more, uh, you know, personal work with a little spice. Uh, chef's kiss. Uh, Carl getting cut off there at the end. There, there is a time limit on these that it uh, forces you to. I apologize, Carl. And my sincerest apologies for not playing this in the Dumber Dolls episode. This was actually my first time hearing this message, so my reactions were genuine. Normally, I listen to these beforehand, but I fell behind last week with the Patreon stuff. And so, yeah, but sorry, Carl. But yes, he has a great point that he wasn't in that episode. And his explanation for why he walked off the set is kind of what I what I thought is, is Happy Time Harry is kind of similar to Carl as a character. Of course, much more depressing, uh, less depraved, maybe just uh, just a real depressing, sad guy, but kind of similar characters. But yeah, we talked about that last week a bit. 
But thank you so much, Carl, for leaving this message. <laughs> very, very impressive Carl voice. But why wouldn't it be? It's the real Carl, right? I'm not going to attempt to say that last name because uh, you guys heard me try and pronounce Dino Stamatopoulos' last name in the last episode. And that was not pretty. Real quick, and I apologize, Carl, because you didn't want me to talk about this episode. But uh, a couple notes that I kind of forgot to mention in the Dumber Dolls episode. One is when we go to the Powerpuff Mall, there's only one F on the end of Powerpuff, which I found interesting because in previous episodes, like there's an F, but the neon isn't lit up. So I don't know if, if, if this was done for copyright reasons or if this was done because the idea is the F got stolen or they took it off or whatever. But yes, only one F on the end of that Powerpuff Mall sign. Secondly, I wanted to mention that that episode was really easy for me to cut up to talk about because they change locations and scenes a lot, which I, I enjoyed. It, it keeps the episode moving really quickly and, and keeps setting them up for more jokes. Some episodes are harder for me to cut up because there's really long talking sections and Dumber Dials was not that kind of episode. It was a breeze to cut that up. And three, the camera work, uh, I guess, quote, camera work on that episode was really great. I, I forgot to mention it, but we get all sorts of close-ups on the characters when they're talking and stuff. Really a, a step beyond what we're used to from the show, at least up until this point. But yeah, thanks, Carl, sending a message. Sorry I couldn't play your message in the previous episode, but I enjoyed it. Next up, I, I know my mom listens to the show. I guess she left me a voice message. L let's hear it. Ah, uh, hello? Yes, Ronnie, this is <laughs> your fuck? mother speaking. Uh, I am reminding you to only talk about uh, Plutonian episodes uh, or I will replace you with a, a clone of yourself. Yes. Oh, no. He's working. Damn it, Emery. I asked you one thing. What was that? Do not talk until I was done recording. And what did you do? Now we are <laughs> ruined. It was working perfectly before you opened your big, <laughs> stupid green mouth. Oh, Shiza, it's still recording. Stop it, stop it. <laughs> I love how this has gone from people sending in their Aqua Teen origin stories to like a fucking sketch show. Wow. So I'm getting dunked on, fucking trolled by Oglethorpe and Emery in this clip. What, the, what is this bullshit? Oglethorpe, if you ever call in again, I'm going to fucking kick your ass, you son of a bitch. Or rather, I'll get Frylock to do it. I'll, I'll get Carrie Means on here to destroy you if you don't stop dunking on me. But yes, thank you, Emery and Oglethorpe, for calling in and uh, trying to trick me. But better luck next time, fellas. Anyways, speaking of origin stories, we have Carson Ibera hitting us up with his origin story. And if you think his voice sounds familiar... Compared to some voices we've already heard, that's all in your head. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Let's hear what Carson has to say. Hey, Ronnie. Uh, it's Carson. Back at it again. Uh, I realized I haven't told you my Aqua Teen origin story. Uh, so mine is a little strange. Um, there's a YouTuber named uh, Rebel Taxi, if you don't know who he is. He's a YouTuber who covers like animation and stuff. And he did a video on the uh, the... Boston Bomb Scare, and uh, I forget what other one, but he did a video, uh, Top 10 Worst Cartoon Network Mistakes, and he even did an Aqua Teen Hunger Force solo video, and that got me really interested in uh, Aqua Teen and uh, Space Ghost and all those those two shows, and I started watching them, and I fell in love with them the first minute. 
Uh, my first episodes were a few in season 10. I think Muscles was the first one because that's what was available on Hulu at the time. And then I went to Cartoon Network's website, or not Cartoon Network's, but Adult Swim, and uh, I started watching season one, and that's where I really loved the show. Uh, keep up the good work, as always. Great podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. See ya. I'm actually not familiar with Rebel Taxi, but I'm looking at the YouTube page now and all sorts of Aqua Teen stuff on that page, it's looking like. And yeah, that, that's really cool. That's what I love about the internet is you can find out about stuff like Aqua Teen in these more interesting ways. Like back in the day, the only way you would find out about it really was if you were watching TV at the time or if somebody told you about it and told you to go watch it. So it's really cool hearing from all you guys how you heard about it from some other media or you discovered it while enjoying some other media that either had a video about it or a reference to it or whatever. But yeah, super cool. And I think it's awesome that you got into it from season 10, which goes to show that the later seasons of the show are still quite good. it, It did not go downhill. It wasn't as good, of course, as the golden years, but the, the, those episodes, I think, are still really enjoyable the later seasons. But yeah, of course, Carson, thanks for the kind words, as always, and it's great to get a message from you. This is our first message from you in this episode, I guarantee it. All right, that's our news, that's our housekeeping. Let's see what the heck was going on this week in November of 2002. This week, walking up to the box office in a hoodie. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. I know you're begging me. What is it? Well, let me tell you. It's mom's spaghetti. I mean, I mean, can you believe this? We have Eminem bringing 8 Mile to the top of the box office this week, bringing in a fat $51 million. Not too bad, B-Rabbit. If you haven't seen it, 8 Mile is a musical drama film with autobiographical elements from Eminem's life about coming up as a white rapper in a predominantly black genre, but there's also some personal problems in it, all sorts of things. It's honestly a pretty decent movie from what I remember. It's been a hot minute since I've seen it, but you know, this thing has a 7.1 out of 10 on IMDb and a 75% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it's not too bad. It's not as bad as you might think, but if, if you absolutely hate Eminem, then yeah, I doubt you're going to like it, but it's all right, especially for his acting debut. He does really well here, I think. The film also starred Brittany Murphy, and uh, someone I want to mention is Exhibit, who we were talking about a little bit last week via Paperback Papa's story. So if you haven't heard the last episode, check that out. I, I, although I can't imagine anyone's listening to this who hasn't heard <laughs> who hasn't heard the Dumber Dolls episode yet. Anyways, I got a few little trivia facts here for you guys that I found interesting about Eight Mile. Maybe you'll like them too. The sheet of paper that Jimmy writes on—that's Eminem's character on the bus is the real sheet that Eminem wrote Lose Yourself on. The sheet of paper sold for $10,000 on an eBay auction. So I I should mention the song Lose Yourself. It's a very popular Eminem song. And I got a feeling that we're going to talk about it later in this episode. But that song was written for this movie and is featured in the film. So that'll come up again in our next fact. Lose Yourself, recorded especially for 8 Mile, was the first rap song to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song, which it did in 2003. Pretty cool. And then, it's kind of a long one, but I thought it was kind of interesting. The rap battle scenes took days to film, and the 300 extras were starting to get bored. Director Curtis Hansen started an improv freestyle rap battle among them, and the three best rappers would be filmed going head-to-head with Eminem. 
Each of the 134 volunteers got 15 seconds in front of the judiciary panel. Ultimately, the jury chose four rappers who got a one-shot, one-take-only scene with Eminem, who wanted to mime his responses to save his voice for the scripted scenes. Eminem couldn't resist the challenge by staying silent, especially with the crowd taunting him, and took on his opponents. Kind of fun, kind of an interesting thing there. Uh, Curtis Hansen thinking on his feet, keeping these extras entertained. But yeah, that's 8 Mile. It's, it's, it's a decent watch. I mean, maybe I'd watch it now and fucking hate it. I don't know. But I liked it when I saw it 15 plus years ago. And there is no shared cast on 8 Mile with Aqua Teen or the Colin movie film. So nobody to talk about in that regard, unfortunately. All right, guys, I'm sick of talking about Eminem. What was our number one hot Billboard single this week? Yo. His palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy. There's vomit on his sweater already. Mom's spaghetti, he's nervous. But on the surface, he looks calm and ready to drop palms. But he keeps on forgetting what he wrote down. The whole crowd goes so loud. Well, goddammit, if it isn't Eminem again, whew, what a small world. Never saw that one coming. Yes, this song dominating the charts. Eminem's album that had come out earlier in the year was also very popular. There were no new Aqua Teen episodes at that moment, so we didn't get to talk about it. But Eminem's on fire in 2002. This is probably his biggest year, I would think. When he released his greatest hits, I think a few years later, that was my first rap album, and that was the first rap I ever really liked. Not to say I listen to Eminem anymore, but I do have a soft spot for, for these uh, late 90s, early 2000s singles he has. But all right, we've been talking about Eminem enough. Let's see what our number one hot Billboard album this week is. No, your ears are not mistaken. That is the sultry playing of Carlos Santana. We have Santana's Shaman at the top of the charts this week. Shaman being the band Santana's 19th studio album. Shaman sold 298,973 copies this week, almost 300,000 copies, which is crazy. The single I played here was The Game of Love featuring Michelle Branch, and the album also featured Macy Gray, P.O.D., which I found kind of weird, like the whole band, P.O.D., not just the singer, uh, Chad Kroger from Nickelback and Dido, amongst others. There's a lot of features on these Santana albums because Santana is mostly an instrumental band. So they get some popular singers, and baby, you got a recipe for success. Having said that, however, this album is not really received super well these days, and I found it kind of lackluster when listening through the most popular songs. I didn't recognize a lot of them. And really what I think happened here is their previous album, Supernatural, released in 1999, had some huge hits on it, most notably Smooth featuring Rob Thomas, which I guarantee every person here has heard Either they know it or not. It's just a gigantically popular song. So I think what happened here was Santana released that huge song a couple years previous. Here's the next album that comes out. Everyone buys it right away, but there weren't as many good songs on it, at least from what I can tell. You know, I'm not super into the Santana catalog, so I could be wrong here. But from, from looking at scores and stuff, this album wasn't received super well, although it sold well its first week. It only stayed on the charts for one week. But all right, that's our top album this week. And for our top alternative single, it's the same as last week. We have Nirvana's You Know You're Right. So if you want to hear me talk about that, check out the Dumber Dolls episode. I go into it there. But all right, that's it for music really this week. So pretty good week. I mean, there's, there's some there's some interesting stuff going on, I guess. Got some hip hop. We got some uh, Latin rock. 
and we've got some grunge. Let's head over for video games for the gamers out there. Oh yeah, we've got Insomniac Games releasing Ratchet and Clank for the PS2 on November 4th. And by July 2006, Ratchet and Clank had sold 1.1 million copies and earned $31 million in the United States. So very popular game. I know lots of people really into Ratchet and Clank. As I've said before, I never had a PS2, so never got to experience this game. But I know it's very loved by those who did. Watching footage, I've never been crazy about these kind of platformer games, if I'm being honest. Again, I think it's because I didn't grow up with them. I grew up with handhelds mostly, so I'm used to more you know, Game Boy, Game Boy Advance kind of games. Not these... 3D platformers where you kind of walk around and just pick shit up and jump around and all that good stuff. I mean, I'm not knocking it. It's just not something that I grew up liking. So it's harder for me to get into it now. But guys, I have a little treat for you here. I actually have the commercial for Ratchet and Clank that played on this exact day, November 10th, 2002 on Adult Swim. So if you were tuning into Adult Swim this week, you would see this commercial. I swear to God, it's, it's at least unless this YouTuber is lying to me, in which case that is messed up. But this is supposedly the exact commercial that aired that day. Let's take a listen. Get into the game with Ratchet and Clank for PlayStation 2. Available now at Target. This game rated T for teens. Yes, of course I had to shill for Target. It's where I work, and I, I will be shilling their 2002 products. I find it interesting that this was a Ratchet and Clank commercial, but exclusively for Target. So I guess they got like an earlier release date on it. That's what I'm assuming, at least. I'm not seeing anything on their Wikipedia page, but yeah, whatever. Who cares? Uh, really cool to watch this old commercial, and I went through all these old commercials because somebody, I guess, had taped this night of Adult Swim on a VHS tape, as you can hear from the quality and uploaded just the commercials and the promos to YouTube for this night specifically, November 10th, 2002. So if you'd like to watch this video, link in the show notes, of course. Shoutouts to 53 Retro TV for this beautiful upload. And yeah, I'm sure if you're around my age or older, you probably played Ratchet and Clank around this time. Another game I'll point out real quick is NHL 2K3 was released on the 10th. So on this exact day, NHL 2K3 came out. I checked out the footage of NHL 2K21, the, the newest NHL game, to see how far the series has come. But according to a comment, they're using the same models and animations that they've been using since 2008. So while it does look better than NHL 2K3, because again, you know, 2002 versus 2020, it's not next gen, but it's definitely better. I, I just, you know, I, I'm not a sports hunk. As I've said before, I don't play these manly, beefy sports games, but I can at least look at the graphical differences. And there, there is one, of course, but like I said, it, it wasn't as, as steep as I thought it would be. So that's it for pop culture, guys. We've got Eminem fucking dominating all the airwaves of, of all sorts. And Ratchet and Clank just came out. And what's going on on Adult Swim this night? Well, I think we're about to find out. Before we get to that, some patron shoutouts real quick. Thank you, Shinzo the Great, Empower706, and Zeus for signing up at the $5 duffel bag of cash tier. Really appreciate you guys. Although there's an asterisk next to Zeus's name because she is paying in fancy British pounds, which is a completely different ballpark. I'm going to have to call in my tax attorney to figure out how all this works. But thank you guys very much. Really, really sincerely appreciate it. Okay, Adult Swim this night. What in the daggone world is showing up on screen the night of November 10th, 2002? Well, I've got some answers for you. 
First off, the classic opener, buttering us up with home movies with a new episode, Time to Pay the Price. And I noticed in the previous couple episodes, I got too carried away with talking about every single episode of these shows. So I'm going to pull back from that. If you guys really like that, please let me know and I will give a synopsis of each episode. But these episodes are going on pretty long at this point. So I'm going to pull back for now. But if you guys want me to do it, I love doing it. So I'll gladly do it. But I don't know if you really want to hear me talk about every single show that aired this night. Of course, though, after home movies, we have a new show, which I will talk about because I will talk about new shows. The Groovenians. Attention swimmers. All kids out of the pool. We've got an adult swim special. I've had it with this free thinking insanity. Premieres next. On Adult Swim. So there you have the original bump that played before this episode premiered. So this was just a one episode pilot, like a lot of shows that we're seeing at this point. But what's interesting is the Wikipedia page for this is quite robust. So much so that I initially thought, oh, maybe this wasn't just a pilot, but it was. The voice cast here is pretty big. We have Paul Rubens, aka Pee Wee Herman, as a character, Dennis Hopper, RuPaul, and just lots of other big names, but this never really went anywhere. So the show was 3D animated and it was about two aliens who are searching for a planet where creativity and artistry is allowed. Very arty looking show. You can find this episode in its entirety on YouTube. Just check the show notes. From what I can tell, it doesn't really seem like it fits with the other Adult Swim programming, which also probably leads to why it was dropped. It's just, it looks more like a kid's show than an Adult Swim show, if that makes sense. IMDb is not kind to this show, or I guess just this episode. It was only one episode with a 2.7 out of 10 coming from 118 votes. Just wasn't that popular. It, it seems to be created mostly by Kenny Scharf, who I believe is an artist. He voice acted in one episode of The Simpsons in 2012. But otherwise, he hasn't been too involved in television outside of this show apart from being in a bunch of documentaries as himself. That's it for the Groovenians. I'm sorry. I just don't really feel like it's too worth talking about a lot. Because again, it doesn't seem like it's in the same vein of other Adult Swim shows. So let's move on. We have C-Lab 2021 at 11 o'clock with Hail Squish Face, a new episode. Then we have Aqua Teen Hunger Force with this episode, Bad Replicant, of course. At 11.30, we have Brack Show with Feud, which is a new episode. At 11.45, we have Space Ghost Coast to Coast with Gallagher being the first not-new episode of this lineup so far. After that, we have The Ripping Friends with an episode called Stinky Butt, which from the sources I trust appears to be a new episode, although the IMDb for this episode has the year wrong and the Wikipedia entry has the day wrong. So kind of, kind of out on this one, I guess, but I assume it did premiere this night because I found the two websites I used to figure this out to be pretty accurate. And then last but not least, we have the Oblongs with Disfigured Debbie, which as mentioned in the last episode about the Oblongs, this is the episode that was aired as the final episode in its original run the year previous on WB. So yes, that's that's this week on Adult Swim. We've got Home Movies, The Groovenians, C-Lab 2021, Aqua Teen Hunger Force, Brack Show, Space Ghost, Ripping Friends, and the Oblongs. Sounds like a pretty solid night to me. Let's jump into this episode of Aqua Teen bad replicant parents strongly caution the following programs are intended for mature audiences over the age of 18 these programs may contain some material that many parents would not find suitable for children and may include intense violence sexual situations coarse language and suggestive dialogue Hey everybody, hope you're enjoying the episode. Real quick, before we jump into the Aqua Teen episode, I want to give a shout out to the remaining $5 
patrons that I haven't introduced yet. And a part of the Patreon is when you sign up, I'll shout you out when you sign up. So of course, every week I don't expect to be this long, but since we had a lot of people sign up at the very beginning, which makes sense, I wanted to split these names up just to give them a little more respect and not just read off eight names like I'm barely fucking paying attention, like I'm trying to get through some sort of class assignment. Thank you to Colton Solem or Solem. I really hope one of those is correct. And Calvin McMurray. Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate that. Of course, when you sign up at the $5 level, you get the shout out, same as the $1 level, but you also get access to exclusive podcast episodes from me. There's already one in there of me discussing the Brack Show episode, Brack Streets, which aired last week in our timeline here alongside Dumber Dolls, the episode I covered last week. So if you would like access to that right now, please consider signing up at the $5 level. I'm working on more content for that level as we speak. I'm also putting together some physical goodies if you would like some stickers, Aqua Teen related, Dancing is Forbidden podcast related, all sorts of stuff. Get on that Patreon. Regardless of level, if you like the show, it really, really, really helps me out. But if you would still like to support the show and can't afford to sign up to the Patreon, totally fine. It helps me out just as much for you to spread the show, post it in your story on whatever you're on, post it wherever, maybe catfish somebody on some MMO somewhere and say, hey, I'll send you nudes if you listen to this podcast. Whatever you want to do, it helps me out. Thanks, guys. And of course, thanks for listening. It's really cool. And also, sorry if these pitches are bad. I am new to this. I'm a noob, okay? I admit it. Aqua Teen Hunger Force, tonight at 11.15. That's right. I hope you guys enjoyed those bumps. The first one aired this day in history on November 10th, 2002. The one about the uh, suggestive content, all that. And the second one, just announcing Aqua Teen at 11.15, aired at some point in November 2002. Okay, Bad Replicant. This one rated TVPG for language and featuring Andy Merrill as Oglethorpe, Mike Schatz as Emery, and then Matt Harrigan, our guest star for this episode, as Major Shake. So we'll get into Matt once he shows up in the episode, which doesn't take too long. But I do have some insider information for you guys from our friend Edgar.Allen.Emery on Instagram. She sent my way a correspondence that she had with Mike with some interesting information that I'm going to read to you right now. So it starts off, I assume Edgar Allen Emery asked, how did you get the role of Emery or something along those lines? And Mike had this to say. It's one of my favorite stories. I got an audition from my agent, and I just tried as many cartoon voices as I could think of. Shaggy, Droopy Dog, Sylvester the Cat. I didn't hear anything about the role until about six or eight months later, and when I got in the booth, I started doing all my cartoon voices from the audition that I can remember. And Dave Willis stopped me and said, no, 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 do that voice you did in the audition. That really wimpy voice. That wussy voice. I said, you mean my real voice? And then he said, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> so, of course, thank you, Edgar.Allen.Emery, for sending that my way. I really enjoyed reading it and for giving me permission to share it on this show. As I mentioned in the first instance of the Plutonians, which would be Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto, the sixth episode of Aqua Teen, in the commentary for that one, they mentioned how Mike is, of course, acting with his voice. He's playing Emery as a subdued Chris Farley, which, as I said back then, I could definitely hear when I listen out for it. But it, it's still apparently pretty close to his real voice nonetheless, which is just really, really great. So yeah, we have the Plutonians making their second appearance. 
the Moonanites came back first after three episodes. Plutonians coming back again after four episodes. But the big difference between these two that I find is that when the Moonanites come back, they are the draw of the episode. While when the Plutonians come back, they're usually trying to hatch some sort of scheme and they're usually introducing some other character along with them. For example, in the season two episode, there is the universal monster that they introduce. The Moonanites don't really bring that. Usually they just cause chaos themselves while the Plutonians try and introduce something else. But before that, as always this season, we have our cold open with Dr. Weird and not related at all to the Aqua Teen episode the same way that the first Plutonian episode didn't. But this one, really silly and worth talking about. To set the scene up for you guys real quick, we have Dr. Weird hung upside down via an orange and yellow rent-a-hoist. It's just a machine that holds him up upside down. And his dress, for lack of a better term, that he wears is draped over his upper torso, revealing his big stomach and leopard print Speedo underwear, if you've seen King of the Hill, similar to what Boomhauer has. There is a chain going from the hoist into Dr. Weird. How exactly it's fastened to him, we don't know. Maybe it's wrapped around him more towards his chest, or maybe it's just up his ass. I really don't know. Your guess is as good as mine, but that's the scene that we are introduced to, so let's hear how it plays out. such velocity that my blood will rocket through my neck and propel my lifeless body all the way to Phoenix! <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, what's in Phoenix? Why, it's your mama, Steve! Get the axe! <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's just Dr. Weird wanting Steve to kill him, and he thinks that the velocity, because he's hung upside down, will send his body to Phoenix. Of course, Steve is like, what's in Phoenix? Why? Why am I doing this? Dr. Weird just tells him, your mama's in Phoenix. Get the axe. That's it. I actually know a lot of people who have lived in Phoenix, which is strange. Of, of anywhere around this country, it's always Phoenix of people I, I meet or that like I'm related to or have been friends with who moved there for, for whatever reason. So I guess there's some stuff going on in Phoenix. But most people I talk to about Phoenix who aren't from there tend to not like it. I guess it's too hot, too dry. But the people I know who are from Phoenix or from Arizona, they like it. So, hey, not everything's for everyone. And I guess Dr. Weird wants to get down there for, for one reason or another. So now to the episode proper. We open to a picture of the Earth. And then we hear Oglethorpe giving kind of a monologue over it, revealing the Plutonians' evil plans for the episode. Let's check it out. Look at it out there. Orbiting like it's so cool. <laughs> he will rule it with an army of replicants. Uh, well, we only got the one. So. Well, we'll mm. start with the one. You know, feel it out. <laughs> then when we have that going on, we'll crush them into bugs with our mighty replicant feet. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yes, hot damn. How long until the replicant cools? Just a couple more days, man. We're all over it. A couple it. it will be the weekend then. And I'm going to the lake with Fräulein Freischmunker. He's not really ready yet. <laughs> the hell he is not. <laughs> Thank him out of there. I'm water skiing Saturday. All right, man. I'll, I'll do it. And he had better look exactly like this. <laughs> so we see a graphical error of sorts. When we see the Earth through the window in the Plutonian spaceship, you can see that it's actually an image overlaid over another galaxy image because we see where it's perfectly square. If you look enough at the bottom left of the window, you'll see there's basically two different galaxies that it's showing. 
the original image, I assume, from some sort of Hanna-Barbera cartoon or something along those lines, which they did a lot in these early episodes. But yeah, Oglethorpe reveals that he's planning to create an army of replicants that are going to take over the Earth. However, Emery, being the realist, is like, well, we only have one, and he's not even, he's not even done yet. And they, they show a giant oven thing that says caution hot on it. There's a sticker at the top left. And then we see 12 o'clock blinking, kind of like a microwave. If you haven't set the clock on your microwave, it just flashes at 12. So that's kind of what they have here. And to the right of that giant generic looking industrial oven, we have oven mitts and a pizza peel for grabbing up pizza. So it looks like this is a pizza oven of sorts, a, a giant industrial one. Again, that they have not even set the time on, which I, I find hilarious. Emery tells Oglethorpe that it'll be a couple more days until the replicant is done. But Oglethorpe has plans for the weekend. He's going water skiing. So they have to expedite this process and just take out the replicant now. And at the end of the clip, they reveal that the replicant is supposed to be a replicant of Master Shake. And the way in which they reveal this is by showing a photo of Shake. But the photo is a headshot of Shake. And this is a real early glimpse of Shake really wanting to be in show business, an entertainer. They really kind of flanderize his character later on to really want this attention and be famous in this way. But this is one of our earliest instances of really seeing it, that he even has headshots. He has a talent agency, I guess just called Talent Agency. There's a little address underneath that, but I can't really make it all out. It's 502 a la something Avenue, Hollywood 91533. And funny little gag, his name on this headshot is literally just Master Shake. And in the picture, he's wearing clothes. He's wearing a shirt, kind of a, an arty kind of shirt, I suppose. Although I don't know how they could not make it look like he has a turtleneck on when his neck is so thick. Which reminds me of a post I saw on the Aqua Jail subreddit where somebody hypothesized that he can wear clothes and he would wear clothes. He's just too lazy to wash them, which I totally believe. We get some classic back and forth between Oglethorpe and Emery, the kind that I really love about these characters. And they're kind of talking over each other at parts. Emery is kind of the straight man. And then Oglethorpe just overreacts to everything. And instantly we see how half-assed this plan is by them because Oglethorpe really doesn't know anything about it. Like he's saying that they're going to have a whole army of replicants. But then Emery says, oh, well, we only have the one and it, it's still cooking. And Oglethorpe doesn't want to interfere with weekend plans. So he says just to take it out. So that's why these guys are never successful because they're idiots and they never put in the proper work to pull off any of their plans. They half-ass it as much as possible, which the replicant will talk about later in this episode. But okay, moving on to the next scene. As they're holding up Master Shake's headshot, we get a fade from that headshot in the spaceship to the real Master Shake in real life. And we see that Master Shake, Frylock, and Meatwad are in Frylock's room, and they are practicing singing some hymns. And before we get to that clip, I want to point out that this is one of our earliest times being in Frylock's room. There's only one or two other instances before this that we are doing anything in his room. Usually it's just him on the computer or them using the computer to video chat with, for example, the Plutonians in the space conflict from Beyond Pluto episode. So this is our first time being back there in quite a while. Be the time okay, okay, Meatwad, just shake now. Take it, shake. Let it come from your heart, <laughs> shake. 
Blah, blah, wine, blood. What are you doing? What? You may be able to get away with that in church, Shake, but that's not going to cut it here. Why are we doing this? Because I want to join the church up the street and meet Wad needs to learn some morals and values. Look at him and tell me there's a god. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. God's a big meatball. <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Does he stink like you do? Fun to see the Aqua Teens doing this kind of boring family thing together. I'm surprised Shake is even in the room with them right now. I, I assume Frylock had to coax him into it with one thing or another. So the hymn that they're singing is called Blessed Be the Tie That Binds, and then sometimes there's a subtitle of Indelible Grace. It is a hymn written by John Fawcett, uh, F-A-W-C-E-T-T, -T, who was born in 1739 and was a British-born Baptist theologian, pastor, and hymn writer. So the next line in the song, because Frylock and Meatwad sing, Blessed be the tie that binds, and then they say, Take it, shake. The, the line that he would have to sing would be, Our hearts in Christian love. Totally something that you could see shake singing from the heart, right? I was looking up on YouTube to hear this hymn and hear how it... Uh, I guess there's no right way to sing it because you can kind of sing it any way that the music is written for. But I, I found one video which ended up being an instrumental, so it wasn't particularly useful for me. But there was a comment from Phil Roberts one year ago saying, This is for Oglethorpe's 114, attributors to the state of Georgia. Thanks for making it available. So I, I was skimming the comments and I saw Oglethorpe and I was like, oh, is this an Aquatine reference? But nope, they're actually talking about Oglethorpe College in Atlanta, Georgia. Which, as I talked about in the initial Plutonian episode, uh, episode six of this podcast, Oglethorpe and Emery are named after colleges in Atlanta where the show was made. So kind of funny to see this come full circle in a way. As you heard in the clip, though, Shake was not playing along with this. As I said, it's a surprise he was even there. But he asks, why are we doing this? And then Frylock reveals it's because he wants them to join the church up the street because he wants Meatwad to learn some values, some morals, some religion. Because again, Frylock is kind of the parent figure for Meatwad, while Shake is the abusive older brother. Shake fulfilling this role reveals that he doesn't really even believe in God because look at Meatwad, why would God make that? Meatwad very sweetly replies, well, he made me in his image. But then <laughs> Shake's like, what do you think? He's a giant meatball? And Meatwad just says he is. <laughs> but then to get us to the next bit of the plot, this is something I've noticed they've done a couple times at this point. The phone rings and Shake picks it up. Hmm, I wonder who it's going to be on the other end. And at the beginning of this clip, Meatwad does talk over this. He says, I pray to him, meaning he prays to the meatball god. So I couldn't really separate that from the rest of the audio. So keep that in mind. Hello? I'm Prodo. Yes, Kudnabin. Is this the Master Shake? Why, is this Hollywood? Yeah, we have your headshot. <laughs> and we're casting a big movie. We think you'd be just perfect for the role of... This stupid Earth slave! <laughs> you think you'd be interested? I don't know. You better speak to my agent. It's very clearly Oglethorpe who is not at all trying to hide his identity, but Shake doesn't recognize his voice. And I love that when they ask for Master Shake, Shake says, Why is this Hollywood? Making it seem as if he's been sending out his headshots or something along those lines that would make him think that Hollywood is calling him. Or it could just be his own hubris, I guess, expecting, of course Hollywood's going to call me. I'm Master Shake. I don't have to do anything for it. They'll just call me. Shake being offered the part of the stupid earth slave. He says, I don't know. He's playing it cool. He tells whoever's on the phone that they'll have to speak to his agent. And then he's about to pass the phone to his agent, who is Meatwad. I can't believe it. This is it. 
What did I teach you? Yes, I know. We want three million up front, fifteen percent gross domestic and international. All merchandising rights. Don't forget about the copy of the movie. Hold on. And the VHS. One VHS copy of the movie. You hear that? Don't That's good. I'd like to run through the script with you. Why don't you come outside right now? Hell yeah! Let's go. I love Shake's instant enthusiasm. Just hell yeah, and then, and then he's out there. He he just runs instantly outside. Before we get to that, let's back up a little bit. Great comedy here, and Meatwad suddenly being very intelligent when he's speaking about these Hollywood terms, I suppose. He's trying to negotiate a deal for Shake, and Shake is really just fixated on wanting a VHS copy of the movie. It seems almost like he just wants something new to watch on TV, but more so he probably wants it just so that he can show people that he was on TV. VHS, of course, sounds very funny these days that he wants a VHS that's so bizarre, almost like on cinema, the Tim Heidecker and Greg Turkington series. Greg Turkington is always talking about VHS tapes and showing them off. He thinks they're, they're the most superior way to watch films. But this is back in 2002, so it's not too crazy he would want a VHS. I'm reading an article from November 15th of 2002 on the CNN Money website about how to buy a DVD player, which in itself is a great title. And at this point, DVD players were to be had for around $100 or less these days. So DVD players weren't super expensive. However, it makes sense that Shake wouldn't have the $100 to blow on a DVD player. They would just have whatever VHS player they probably found on the side of the road when it was thrown out when that household got a DVD player. Of course, the terms that Shake wants are ridiculous outside of a VHS of the movie. They want $3 million up front. Regardless of what this movie is, they don't know what the budget is, but they want $3 million up front. 15% gross of domestic and international. So gross being what they bring in from the movie theater. Not net profit, but gross. Everything they bring in, Shake wants 15% of it. And they want merchandising, right? So a very big ask for somebody who's never been in a single film one time. But I really respect how prepared Shake is, or rather how prepared he trained Meatwad to be for this situation. But yeah, once uh, once Shake realizes this is happening, he just throws the phone, says, let's go, runs up to the door and opens it. And we see the Plutonian ship is parked right in the middle of the street and Oglethorpe is standing outside smiling. Shake runs up to the ship, which one of the ports opens and Oglethorpe says, this is where the movie is. And Shake just instantly gets in. He's not questioning. He's not wondering what this spaceship is. He's not even recognizing that he's met Oglethorpe before. He's seen this spaceship. He's been inside this spaceship. He's so excited to be in this film. He just sprints right in there and is totally cooperative. So in this next scene, Shake is on the ship and he asks who he's reading with. And that's when we finally see the replicant. It is what looks like a deformed Shake. It is not as tall as Shake. And one of its arms is kind of on the floor. The other arm is attached to the straw, which isn't in the straw hole. It's on the side of his head. He also has a boom box growing out of the side of his face. And otherwise, he just looks like a melted version of Shake. Totally messed up. Shake is excited when he sees it because he can't believe he has an extra. Let's hear how the scene plays out. It's very, very fun. Okay, who am I reading with? Go stand over there next to him. Oh my God, this is amazing. What's up, fellas? <laughs> you just need to yank this out of your head. Don't touch him. He's a perfect clone. Um, he looks a little small. Quick, give him some heels now. <laughs> I'm supposed to be this guy? <laughs> Are you insane? <laughs> stereo this Christmas. That'll be the tagline. I can see it now. I made that up. Remember, I get points on that, too. Okay? There's no time. You have your mission. See that it's accomplished. Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> so voicing the replicant here, we have Matt Harrigan. In the late 90s, 
Matt wrote on shows such as The Late Show with David Letterman, Celebrity Deathmatch, and then also Space Ghost Coast to Coast, providing the voice of Jace in the 1998 episode Lawsuit. Matt went on to write for the show 12 Ounce Mouse, which is Matt Malero's show. He created Assy McGee, which ran for two years on Adult Swim, which we will get to eventually. He also created Perfect Hair Forever, which was another Adult Swim show. Otherwise, he's had his hands all over the place, such as Squidbillies, Mr. America, the on-cinema Tim Heidecker movie, Stroker and Hoop, a bunch of other Adult Swim things. This guy was all over Adult Swim, either as an executive producer, a voice actor, a writer, all that good stuff. Matt is currently the VP of Digital Content at Adult Swim and most recently worked on Fish Center Live, which was an Adult Swim digital show. Back to the clip. Emery wants to yank the boombox out of the replicant's head, but Oglethorpe commands, don't touch him. He's a perfect clone. And then Emery's like, well, he's a little small. So they put high heels on him to make him taller. They make him shake's height. And it's kind of funny. We see his little legs at the bottom there with just red high heels on. The replicant himself is even, dude, I look nothing like this guy, which is a great touch from the very beginning. He's like, what the fuck are you guys trying to do? I, I look nothing like this guy. Shake puts out some taglines, get killed in stereo this Christmas because of the stereo sticking out of the replicant's head, assuming that the replicant is supposed to be the monster or something. So I suppose I was wrong on the whole thinking it's this extra. He thinks this is the monster for the movie. And Shake seeing another milkshake type creature makes me think, is that like me seeing another human? Was that kind of, did he not even really think about that? Or would he be like, oh my God, another Shake creature like me. I'm not the only one. But he didn't really seem to have any sentiment towards that. He just kind of played into the whole movie aspect of it. Shake reminding the Plutonians that he gets points for suggesting the tagline, points being percentages of the profit from the movie, which they did not ask for in his negotiation. They only wanted 15% of total gross. He didn't ask for additional points beyond that. But anyways, the replicant tries to ask the Plutonians a question. He's trying to figure out what's going on here. And they say, no, there's no time. You have your mission. And then they push him out of the ship and they fly away. So the replicant is left on Earth. So we return to Frylock's room where him and Meatwad are practicing their hymns. And the replicant comes in to try and carry out this mission of pretending to be Shake and taking over his life. And we'll see if that goes according to plan. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, hallelujah. How are you guys? <laughs> your, your best friend, remember? <laughs> Major Shake? <laughs> Mr. Shake? Hey, let's do some of the things that we like to do together. Together. Major Shake, having just met Master Shake, doesn't know anything about him, how he acts. Anything that he could potentially use to impersonate him is not there. So he's just, hey, he's just actually like a normal guy. Hey, guys, how's it going? And of course, besides the fact that his personality is nothing like Shake's, he is like a deformed looking Shake with the boombox sticking out the side of his face. He's wearing high heels. We get a great shot of him, his, his little feet in the high heels. And Frylock and Meatwater just stunned, staying there like, what the fuck am I looking at? Amazing bit of Major Shake not even knowing Shake's name. Major Shake, uh, Mr. Shake. Obviously, you heard me laughing and I had to play at the top of this episode as well. At the very beginning of that scene, we heard Frylock and Meatwad doing another hymn. And that was from Messiah by George Friedrich Handel 
which is an English language oratorio composed in 1741. I'm sure everyone has probably heard that one. Moving on to our next clip here, Frylock is not buying that this is Master Shake. Okay, everyone into the cart. Let's all go give blood. Yeah, the blood drive. <laughs> My favorite. That was a trick. <laughs> the real Master Shake thinks that the blood drive is a pyramid scheme perpetrated by Dracula and his night slaves. Well, that's right. You ain't my best friend neither. He yells at me and scares me and locks me in the attic and pours liquid on my head that stings and frees me with a fire extinguisher and a whole bunch of other stuff I can't remember because he shocked me in the head with a car battle. <laughs> what a bunch of clowns. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, Meatwad, okay. <laughs> Frylock just shutting Meatwad up because he's he can go on all day about all the awful things that Shake has done to him. Frylock's big trick for Major Shake was trying to get him to give blood, which Major Shake was like, yeah, sweet, the blood drive. But that was a trap because Master Shake believes that the blood drive is a pyramid scheme perpetrated by Dracula. It's been a hot minute since I've given blood, actually. I used to give a lot when I lived in Illinois. But yeah, I haven't done anything since I moved to Minnesota. I guess there's a shortage of blood. Uh, I assume all over the place because of COVID-19. So I should probably look into that soon. Give some of my uh, precious blood to Dracula. Some places will give you like good stuff too. I, I think Shake might actually be interested. I, I've gotten water park tickets, Target gift cards, I think Subway gift cards. The place in Illinois gave a lot. That's probably why I went so much. He always got something, which is pretty uh pretty shitty realization on my part. But yeah, I need to uh, figure out where I can do that here. But yeah, for, I, I'd imagine Shake would be into that aspect of it, getting little goodies like that. Also, when you're there, you get snacks and drinks and all that stuff. Miwad points out also Shake isn't my best friend and then lists all the abuses or at least some of the abuses that Shake has done to him such as yelling at Miwad and scaring him, locking Miwad in the attic, pouring liquid on Miwad's head that stinks and spraying Miwad the fire extinguisher, all sorts of stuff. But then Miwad can't remember everything because Shake shocked him in the head with a car battery with a bunch of clamps and sponges. <laughs> God, poor Miwad just just completely abused by Shake. There is the line of locking Meatwad in the attic, which does play back into a future episode, The Shaving, where there is a monster in the attic. So kind of confused how that plays out. But of course, Aqua Teen isn't known for its continuity, considering every character dies at least one time in the show. All right, last but not least, we had a great little walk animation from Major Shake. His little legs moving to get him up there with his high heels on. But in our next clip here, Remember, Frylock just shushed Meatwad, basically, and they're still talking about how they don't believe that this is Master Shake. And I know he ain't got no stereo sticking out the side of his neck. You're not buying it, are you? Hell no. You need to come help me. Then I believe it. Yeah, <laughs> let me get out of these heels. Sure, I deserve comfortable time to on the phone. Where's the real Shake? Again, they're not buying it. Frylock pointing out the boombox sticking out of the side of Major Shake's neck. Meatwad says, hit me, then I'll believe you, which... <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And then Major Shake just fesses up like, yeah, let me get out of these heels. We see him try and walk over, but he falls over in the heels. He can't walk very successfully in them. Meanwhile, Meatwad is just saying, make yourself comfortable. Can I get you anything? So Frylock asks, where is Shake? And then we cut to Shake back on the Plutonian ship with the Plutonians. Remember, he thinks he's going to be in a movie. Green guy, where's the craft service table around here? I'm hungry, and I need the prop guy. I need some sunglasses for the scene. There is no scene. Who am I playing? Because my character will need yeah, to know Elder that. Thorpe, do you remember this guy? I'm starting to. And how annoying he was, remember that? Yes, and how he scoffed at our magazines. So, like, uh, what were we going to do with him? We will use him for the armies. 
of the night! But I thought we were gonna use the replicant down there to do an army of the night. Different army, dork face! <laughs> this army will take over the rest of the galaxy. Do you see how my mind works? It's like a laser! You know, I know you from somewhere. He must not know who we are. Paint the mind room! Uh, I'm still not done with the trim on that. Shake calls Emery green guy, and then it's just kind of throwing a tantrum. He, he needs all the stuff he needs to act in this scene, but he also doesn't know what the scene is. He doesn't know who his character is. He says his character needs to know who his character is. And while he's kind of having that little outbreak, Emery talks to Oglethorpe like, hey, I, I'm starting to remember this guy. So that leaves me with a question of, I, I assume they targeted Shake because they already knew him, but now they're acting like they forgot who he was or anything like that. Maybe they got his headshot in the mail somehow, and that's why they were going to replicate him. But their memory is coming back to how awful Shake was in Space Conflict from Beyond Pluto. For example, saying that Shake scoffed at their magazines. If you'll remember in that episode, we talked at great length about the magazines that they offered Shake. That leads Emery to ask, what will we do with him? Oglethorpe says, we'll use him for the armies of the night, which leads Emery to respond with, I thought we were using the replicant for the army of the night. And then Oglethorpe says, no, that's a different army, dork face. The army of the night will take over the galaxy while the replicants are sent to take over the earth, I guess. During all this back and forth, Shake starts to remember these guys. And he says, you know, I know you from somewhere. So kind of crazy that's Shake doesn't remember these guys at all since they held him captive. He was their prisoner, essentially, back in the sixth episode. But kind of fu a funny play there where neither of them really knew each other at the very beginning. Once they realize that Shake starts to remember them, Oglethorpe says to paint the mind room, which is some sort of mind-wiping station, I assume. But Emery says, I'm still not done with the trim on that. So that's that scene. The characters start to recognize each other, and as soon as Shake does, the Plutonians need to do something about it. We cut back to Earth, where we see Major Shake talking to Frylock about the Plutonians. Yeah, they're uh, they're real stupid. Well, <laughs> one time they were going to erase this guy's mind, but they didn't want to fork out the cash for the mind obliteration gun, as if one existed, right? They don't. Anyway, they put a guy in the closet, they paint it. They paint the closet, right? Right. They put the guy in there, thinking that the paint fumes will, you know, make him forget. Yeah. So that... Uh, he wouldn't tell his mom we hit him in the head with a hammer. <laughs> so real quick, we have Major Shake explaining what the mind room is. When Oglethorpe in the previous scene said, paint the mind room, we have the great cut here to Major Shake explain the mind room is just a closet that they paint, expecting that the fumes will knock out whoever they put in there and they'll forget whatever they want them to forget, I, I suppose. And then while all this is going on, this conversation, Meatwad is just staring at Major Shake. So Frylock is about to address that. Meatwad, it's not polite to stare. No, it's okay. I know. I'm totally hideous. <laughs> I just wondered if that damn box worked, you know? Shake through mine in a cobra cage and dare me to go get it. And that's why I'm all puffy about you. <laughs> Hang on, let me see. There we go. Great little uh, gag there of Frylock turning the jam box down after it starts up, which I, I think is a nice little touch on their part. We have Meatwad bursting out with Big City Nights when the music comes on the boombox. I looked it up and all I could really find was a song by Scorpions, which is a rock band. So I think they're probably just throwing that title out there. I don't think that it's an actual song that he's singing. I love how cool and calm Matt Harrigan is playing this. Those are, as you can probably tell, my favorite kind of Aqua Teen characters that are just chilled out, like Emery 
and now Major Shake. Just these kinds of relaxed characters that have the, this subtle humor to them are, are the ones that shine most for me because this show is my first ever exposure to that kind of humor. We heard Major Shake struggling in that clip because he is trying to turn on the jam box with his hand that is attached to the straw growing out of the side of his head. So funny little struggle sounds there. And then he gets it and Meatwad instantly starts dancing. Meatwad loves it because his he can't use his jam box anymore because Shake put it in a cobra cage. Poor Meatwad. In terms of the visuals, these characters are just sitting in the living room and there's a TV tray next to the recliner chair that Shake usually sleeps in. And then we have Major Shake drinking out of a blue mug or a, I guess a baby blue mug and then Frylight drinking out of a white mug. We don't know what they're drinking though. And yeah, the point of that scene, just kind of explaining how the Plutonians are stupid. I mean, we already know that, but it's funny to hear a character that has a direct relationship with them talking about it. And then just to have Miwad dance to the jam box, which I wonder why there's a jam box growing out of his side. It's not like there was a, a jam box in the picture of, of Shake or anything like that. Just kind of a, a random touch, but I like it. I think it's a good little quality to Major Shake. Continuing with this scene, we have Frylock asking some questions to Major Shake. So how were you made? Were you cloned from Shake's DNA? Are you kidding? <laughs> they gave me his photo, threw me in a pizza oven, called it a pod, and told me to wing it, and that it would be cool, and that it would work, and clearly it didn't. Hmm. I think I've met those guys before. They're not exactly intelligent. Gee, could you tell by the giant hairy bosoms that are growing on my back? Again, with the characters not knowing the Plutonians, the Plutonians not really recognizing them, a strange touch, I have to say. I, I kind of find it jarring whenever it comes up. But yeah, Frylock thinks he remembers them, even though, you know, it's only been 11 episodes, so they haven't met a ton of people yet. You know, they remember the Moonanites right off the bat, but they don't seem to really remember the Plutonians, which I find kind of strange. But maybe that's supposed to be a diss of the Plutonians. Like, they're kind of boring, and they're not as popular as the Moonanites, so people don't remember them as much. That could be it. Should mention this entire scene, Meatwad is dancing next to Major Shake. He's digging the tunes. And this confirms our discussion earlier when I mentioned that there were pizza oven products to the side of the, the giant industrial oven, that it really was just a pizza oven. Somehow Major Shake got created though. I mean, it did work to their credit. It's not perfect, but it did work. Back on the Plutonian ship, we have Oglethorpe and Emery looking out the window at the Earth and Oglethorpe is questioning why nothing is happening. So let's check that out. Why isn't the Earth deterraforming? Well, he needs to gain their confidence and then um, he can get a job and then he can start <laughs> buying pesticides. That could take weeks! Look over there, that's doing some deterraformation, right? Oh man, that's why. What's up with the closet? Damn There's it! nothing to do with get it! Get back into the main room! Emery, lock the door! You, you told me to paint over the lock. Oh, but son of a... Imprison him within the rings! <laughs> You'll never move from that spot again. Unless you like being cut in half. <laughs> Yellow. The laser rings! Look, brother, these ain't nothing but disco lights. No, the installer said they were prison laser rings. I I believed them. Don't listen to him, for he is a bitch! Look, there's somebody on the phone, all right? I gotta go. Well, give it to us before you possess us with one of your spells. <laughs> I'm telling you, these rings. Over the rings! You'll drop dead soon! So yeah, we had the Plutonians figuring out their plan. Emery basically saying that the idea was for him to get a job and then buy pesticides. Somehow he's supposed to de-terraform the Earth that way. Shake comes out of the mind room and then they tell him to get back in. Oglethorpe tells Emery to lock the door, but he, he can't because he was instructed to 
paint over the lock. Then after that, we have the space phone come in, their little robot with phones on each side of its body. He walks in, but Shake is put into like a laser jail, which is lasers around like his the bottom of his cup and then lasers at 45 degrees basically on each side moving around him to kind of keep him in place but as the space phone walks up to him he just like reaches through and grabs it and they're shocked that it didn't kill him because emery was guaranteed that that's what it would do but as you can see he, they're so dumb that they fell for this scam seemingly it's it's just it's just harmless lasers rather than believe they were duped Oglethorpe decides that Shake is a witch and that's how he wasn't killed by the lasers. And then when Shake isn't given the phone, Oglethorpe just says, well, give it to us before you possess us with one of your spells. So that brings us to the next scene. Let's see who's calling them up on the phone. Hello? Hey, uh, what's up, guys? Oh, hi, uh, Major Shake. Uh, how's that plan going? What plan? Look, they know. They can see the real shake over there in your freaking disco light. Why does everyone <laughs> say these are disco lights? <laughs> I'm You go into the bathroom. I don't know. I don't want the deadly rings to cut me. Go! So, yeah, the clip had to be cut off there because of the dialogue continuing. But funny how Meatwad sees Shake on Frylock's computer because at this point they're video chatting. And he's just like, hey, Shake. Like, Meatwad's so nice that even though all he talks about this episode is Shake abusing him, he still says hi to Shake when he sees him on the TV, or rather on Frylock's computer. Major Shake pointing out that Frylock and Meatwad can see the real Master Shake on the video screen, at which point the Plutonians instruct Shake to go to the bathroom. It seems as if Shake thinks that this is all a movie because he says, look at me, I'm in a movie, when he can see Frylock and Meatwad on the screen. So not really sure if that's just like a random joke or if he really does think he's in a movie or not, but that's what it appears to be. He thinks this is all scripted. Shake mocking them like, oh, I don't know if I can go to the bathroom. What about these deadly rings? And then you heard Oglethorpe yells at him to go. So Shake leaves the room. And then we have the Plutonians talking to Major Shake back on Earth about how his mission is going. Before we play that clip, I just want to shout out my love for the space phone and the way it just walks up with its computer voice whenever you have a call. It just walks up to you and you pick up the phone that way. It's a, it's a nice green phone on each side. But all right, let's check out that clip. How's the deterraforming going? When, uh, when, what is deterraforming? <laughs> this is the first I've heard of that. Well, look, look, just settle down. Can you just, like, maybe try and replicate some other people yeah. and get an army going and then, you know, uh, take over the planet? Or is that not possible? I don't know. Uh, I, I don't think I can replicate others. Was that your plan? Well, <laughs> one of them. Plans. Well, maybe your next plan should be to tell me what the plan is. Well, look, settle down. It's all cool, no. man. No, look at me, dude. I'm a leaky, disgusting abomination. And I'm not going to do it anymore. You know what? I'm just not going to do it anymore. Okay, look, just hang loose for about uh, 20 minutes. Yeah, just, um, just chill, and uh, we'll get back to you with some notes. Believe me, this will be so cool when we figure it out. <laughs> but whatever you do, keep them in the dark about your identity. Transmission out! <laughs> I'm sure this is something that a lot of us can relate to in terms of being asked how something is going that you were supposed to be doing, but you were actually never told to do that. I have definitely had that happen at my job before where both of my assistant managers were there. I walk up when I, when I come in for the day and say, hey, you know, what's up? What, what am I doing today? And one of them tells me what to do and right in front of the other one. And then I see the other one a few hours later and they're like, oh, how is this other thing going that 
I was never told to do. I'm like, what do you mean? You were like, you were there when the other guy told me what to do. Uh, he didn't mention this at all right in front of you. Were you not paying attention? Just totally gave me those vibes of Major Shake hearing all this information for the first time. They're telling him to replicate others, even though he doesn't even think he can do that. And he can't do that. And he's kind of looking to them for guidance, but they just don't have any. They're just expecting him to do everything somehow without any direction. It's just it's just a mess. And it, I'm sure anybody probably who even works for a, any corporation has probably ran into this at least once where it's just like, what, what are you talking about? I was never told to do any of this. The Plutonians just tell Major Shake to wait there and they'll get back to him about 20 minutes with some notes so that he can know what to do. All the while telling Major Shake not to let the Aquatines know what's going on even though they are right there. So Frylock is about to point that out to Major Shake. Did they not see me sitting here? No, I'm <laughs> sure they did. It'll... It'll come to them later. Oh, damn it! <laughs> that was that man! It's a fry man! He saw us! Seriously? Uh, yeah, quick clip there because this scene has some overlapping dialogue. But they instantly realized, oh, no, that was that was the fry man. Again, these characters don't recognize each other. Kind of not too sure how I feel about that. Sometimes it's funny. Sometimes it's just weird. But hey, I, I can't change it. That's what's going on here. They realized it was the fry man there the whole time. And we hear the toilet flush and Master Shake is about to come back into the room. But backing up a bit before I get too ahead of myself, I really like the way that Major Shake is. He just sounds so annoyed and disappointed with these guys that I, I think Matt Harrigan does a great job of pulling that off. It's not it's not over the top annoyed. It's like a subtle disappointment that that Major Shake is feeling. And then just the great timing of him saying, "Oh, oh, they'll notice it in a minute or two or whatever." And then we cut to them like, "Oh no, that was the fry man." Just just great comedic editing on their part. But okay, the toilet flushed and Shake is coming back into the main area in the Plutonian ship. Jeez, you guys got some amazing space age tubes running every which way in there. <laughs> oh yeah, they're called pipes. You should get some. <laughs> Again, another short clip, but I, I really appreciate that joke because they really don't have pipes in their bathroom. They don't have a bathroom. So Shake really is impressed by all this. Although I assume they have pipes for their water, right? In the, in the kitchen. So he does have some pipes, but... None in, in any sort of bathroom capacity. Now we head back to Earth where we have Major Shake who has been told to wait 20 minutes for the Plutonians to call him back. Let's hear if he's going to do it or not. Man, do, uh, do you have a car? Well, we got a cart. Did you want me to pull you somewhere? No, that'll take forever. Look, I'll just uh, replicate your neighbor's rig. That'll work. I thought you said you couldn't replicate other things. Well, I don't know that I can't do it. I will need one of those amazing space-age, you know, tubes. What, a pipe? Yeah, that. <laughs> so great, great uh, joke there, because they, they, were, they were joking about pipes in the previous clip, and then they bring it back with Major Shake asking for one. So kind of funny that, like, you, this, this came about, I assume, because, you know, it was written by Matt and Dave. They wrote all this at once, I assume, or at least this little section of the episode, so they had pipes on their mind, like, fuck it, we just, we just talked about pipes in the last clip, let's bring up pipes again. Because it's funny, because Major Shake wasn't there when they were discussing pipes in the Plutonian ship, because he's on Earth. So it's just like a huge coincidence that he would bring up pipes himself later on. Or not even really later on, right? Almost, almost right away, that they were talking about pipes almost at the same time. So I, I, I appreciate that. It's funny, because you can tell that Matt and Dave probably were just like, fuck it, let's, let's do some more pipe jokes or whatever. We also get our second reference to the danger cart in this episode. They asked in the beginning 
if when they're going to go to the blood drive to get in the cart, and then now they're bringing up again that they don't have a car, they have a cart. So two references for the danger cart in this episode, although we haven't seen the danger cart since episode five, Balloonenstein. So it's been a hot minute since we've seen the danger cart, but it's still on Matt and Dave's mind. They're still bringing it up. And I'm interested to see when we'll see it again because, you know, it's been six episodes. Regardless, Major Shake says, well, I'll just replicate your neighbor's car. Frylock says, I thought you can't do that. Major Shake says, well, I don't know that I can't do it. (laughs) And then he just says he needs a pipe, basically. So that brings us to our next scene where he is, quote, replicating Carl's car with the pipe. So is he, like, replicating it? No, he's hot-wiring it. Oh, well, shoot, I was hoping I'd learn something. Science is a mystery to man, isn't it, Frylock? Yeah, it it sure is me. Look at that from the ancient dinosaur. I wish I had some of this stuff, boy. Not them tail. That tails that make them fly. Shut up. Damn. <laughs> See ya. It's been real. Major Shake just beating in Carl's front window so that he can hotwire the car and steal it. That being the last we see of Major Shake this episode, he's out of there. We have a funny moment between Meatwad and Frylock where Meatwad is saying science is a mystery to man, which is probably one of the more popular Meatwad quotes, which, you know, science isn't a mystery. I mean, any science that we know, we know, you know, science in general tends to be things that we know, I think. Anyways, Meatwad starts just going off and rambling about whatever's coming into his mind where we get Frylock saying, shut up, damn, which is one of the early instances of us seeing Frylock's personality. Uh, You know, we get maybe one example every couple episodes of who Frylock comes to be. I mean, he's always the straight man of the show, but here we see him not just being the goody two-shoes because he's just getting fed up with Miwad. He's just like, shut up, dude, because Miwad's just rambling on and on and on as they're watching Major Shake out the window. And this moment really going back to the roots of the show with Carl getting screwed over because Major Shake just stole his car. So we'll get some resolution to that soon enough but before that we have the plutonians calling back to give instruction to major shake who is no longer there really did did he say where he was going uh, your friend major shake look i know he was a replicant <laughs> sent here to de-terraform our planet which would never have worked by the way it's not even a word what are you talking about don't flatter yourself with your jealous fantasies what do you want us to do? Sign your freaking yearbook! Okay, look, <laughs> if you see him, could you just tell him to get going on the crab training project and he'll know what you're talking about. It's cool. Okay, we'll pass that on. Danka. Hey, uh, do you know anything about crustacean enlarging or uh, training? <laughs> oh, forget it, Emily! You're presenting fanged mountains! my once again! Frylock letting them know that Major Shake hauled ass in Carl's car. He's out of there. Frylock also says that deterraforming is not a word. I looked it up and it's not. I didn't think it was, but yeah, it, it's it's not. Because terraforming is, according to Wikipedia, the hypothetical process of deliberately modifying the atmosphere, temperature, surface topography, or ecology of a planet, moon, or other body to be similar to the environment of Earth to make it habitable by Earth-like life. So deterraforming doesn't really make sense. You would still, like, if you were trying to harm humans, you would still be terraforming. It would just be in a bad way. It wouldn't, like, yeah, deterraforming isn't really a thing. But the Plutonians are done with the deterraforming aspect. Their new idea for Major Shake would have been to train crabs 
to uh, take over the Earth or, or something along those lines. They don't get specific with it, but they do ask Frylock if he knows anything about crustacean enlarging or training. But the Plutonians just implode, Oglethorpe yelling at Emery, screaming him out until the transmission ends. Frylock and Meatwad go hang out in Carl's pool. We have our classic end-of-episode debriefing where we see Carl for the first time this episode, and we didn't see him in Dumber Dolls, so it's been a hot minute since we've seen Carl. But he's here talking about his stolen car. So did they um, ever find your car? Oh, they found part of it, you know, hanging from a trestle near the turnpike. <laughs> yeah, the cop said he had a, a straw-like protrusion and a cup-like body. You know anybody like that? Oh, uh, well, it wasn't Shake Carl. He was abducted by aliens earlier this afternoon. Oh, I knew that. Yeah, of course. He was. Seriously. I hate you. <laughs> so we have Miwad at the pool, and he has like an angry look on his face. It's kind of funny. But yeah, we find out that Major Shake got in a really bad car crash. It sounds like he's dead. Although I get the feeling maybe we'll see him again. I don't know. We'll, we'll find out maybe at some point at the end of season two. They're also reusing a joke here from the initial space conflict from Beyond Pluto episode where Shake is with the Plutonians because Carl is looking for him for having Meatwad set his yard on fire, which kind of burned down his house in some way. And they're like, oh, he's not here. He's, he's, he got abducted by aliens. Same joke here, except Shake didn't do anything to Carl in this episode. It's not Shake's fault that Carl's car got stolen. It's just purely the Plutonians' fault. So speaking of the Plutonians, we go back to their ship where they are pondering what to do with Master Shake now that Major Shake is gone. So what are we going to do with the prisoner? We shall ask the mighty Obnoticus. <laughs> Obnoticus, we seek wisdom. To what evil purpose shall we put our slave to use? Oglethorpe calls on Obnoticus, which is just a disco ball. So a disco ball drops down from the ceiling and we see lights on the walls like, like a disco ball effect. And, and that's who is basically their god, their, their higher being is a disco ball. So playing into the previous joke of they thought they had this, this laser prison that was just laser lights. This is clearly them getting ripped off by the same person telling them that this was an all-knowing being when it's really just, just, just a plain old disco ball. So Orbnoticus comes down from the ceiling. Oglethorpe asks him basically what evil thing should they make their slave do? And then there's some silence here. It's maybe like five, ten seconds of silence of them just watching the disco ball. So I just cut that out here because you're not really going to get anything from that. So let's let's see what Orbnoticus has to say or or doesn't have to say. But before we play that clip, Orbnoticus and I would really like to thank the number one in the Hoodgie tier patrons, the $10 tier, the really cool guys who signed up to it. We have Ian Willett-Jacob and Sean Warden. Thank you guys so much for signing up at that top tier where they get to vote on the next Patreon episode, which they did. And I'm excited to get into it. It's one that I've mentioned a lot on this show. And we finally get to talk about it. So yes, thank you guys so much. I honestly cannot believe you signed up at that tier because I understand I don't have that much to offer yet since my Patreon is brand spanking new. But I'm just so lucky to have listeners who would want to spend that much on this show. So thank you guys. Words cannot express my gratitude. Let's hear this final clip of Bad Replicant. Maybe he's sleeping. Do not insult him, <laughs> you shall be damned forever to the forbidden zone! I'm just saying, maybe we should call the installer. I mean, it's the same guy that did the laser rings. And, the prisoner! Uh, he's a scam! <laughs> I'm over here in a disco 
Echo Ball's pretty cool. This is Omnoticus, and he is all knowing. Then why ain't he saying Jack crap? Yeah, man. <laughs> because silence is his wisdom. Obviously, he's busy navigating us through the stars. And did you? Oh my goodness! So, yes, as that whole scene is going on, they are getting closer and closer to Earth. They crash land on Earth right in front of the Aqua Teen's house, and we have the Plutonians jumping out of the spaceship, carrying Orbnoticus, and they run away, and that's the end of the episode. There's a visual gag that I find isn't really of the humor of this show, which is they say, oh, no, the prisoner, he's escaped, and then it shows us the laser prison with no- nobody in it obviously you know shake isn't there because it doesn't really stop him and he's just like no i'm over here and then the camera pans a little bit and he's just by the window i find that not really to be the kind of aquatine humor that's maybe something i would expect more from like the simpsons or something maybe i don't know not like i'm complaining it is a funny joke I- i'm just surprised that they did something like that but all right that is bad replicant Overall, I really enjoyed this episode. I think this is kind of an underrated episode. It's definitely not one that I ever thought about. And when I knew I had this one coming up, I, I hadn't seen it in so long that I watched it last week when I was eating. Um, I, I put on Dumber Dolls and watched that in preparation to record the podcast. And then I just let it keep playing and it played Bad Replicant. And I actually really enjoyed this episode. I think Matt Harrigan does a great job as Major Shake. I, I, I love the Plutonians. You guys know that. I like the way, like I said earlier, that to show their incompetency and their stupidity, they always have some other kind of thing with them. And here it was Major Shake. And I like that they introduce another character. And that in this episode, that character ended up hating them just as much as the Aqua Teens did because of how stupid they are and idiotic. But yeah, just 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 a classic Plutonian episode because they're just showing how dumb they are, you know, with, with the uh, laser prison and Orbnoticus. They just got ripped off by by a, a party supplier, basically. I feel the pacing here, as, as the last three episodes, really good. Nothing feels like it goes on too long. The episodes were relatively easy to cut up. Uh, there was some talking over certain clips, which made it kind of difficult for me to cut up and choose when to split a scene up. But... I mean, that's just for this podcast. When you're watching the episode, I actually really like that. And you can tell a lot of these guys were in the same room together. They were all playing together, playing these characters together. And it's just a lot of fun. You know, that's not something you get a lot in modern animation because a lot of the time things are done remotely. People aren't even in the same room. So when you have them actually talking over each other and yelling over each other and stuff, that's really special. And that's really, I guess, just real, for lack of a better term. So I I enjoy it. it. It seems realistic when that happens, especially with these characters like Oglethorpe who is almost shake-like in a way. He, he, he's an asshole to Emery. He kind of picks on Emery, calls him names and stuff. And Emery is almost like Meatwad. But because Dana Snyder was in LA when they made these shows, at least from what I've heard from various sources and read in interviews and stuff, you don't get a lot of that with Shake, but we got it with Mike Schatz and Andy Merrill because they're both in Atlanta, so they're able to yell over each other in the studio. So yeah, I really enjoyed this episode. I think I'm going to give it four and a half space pipes out of five. Not really sure why it doesn't get the full five, just because I guess the fact that it's not super memorable speaks for itself, but it's a great episode. It's not the first one I would show somebody, but it's just a classic episode. If you're an Aqua Teen fan, I don't see why you would specifically dislike this one. And also we get to see Shake's showbiz desires. We don't see that a whole lot until now. So yeah, everybody, that's it for me. Thank you for listening to the 11th episode of Dancing is Forbidden. 
Of course, again, thank you to all the patrons who signed up in the past week. It really, really makes me excited to keep working on this show. Like I said, it's not like I would have quit if, if nobody signed up, but it definitely makes me a lot more enthusiastic knowing that there are people who enjoy this show so much that they want to give monthly for it. I really appreciate that. If you guys want to get in contact, check the show notes. You can find me on social media on Twitter and Instagram at AquatinePod. If you would like to chat with other listeners and myself in real time, join the Discord. I'm going to try and do a lot more with that. But right now, I'm just trying to get people to sign up. I would like to do watch parties and such. But until we have a certain amount of people, it doesn't make sense to try and pull that off quite yet. Otherwise, I mean, it's all in the show notes, guys. Dancingisforbidden.com. Um, yeah, that's it. Have a great week. And next week, we will be back talking about an episode I love. Season 1, episode 12, Circus. See you guys later. Have a good week. Dancing is forbidden.